0: Thanks for joining us for today's message We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life Then let us know by sending us an email to timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at TimberlakeChurch.com give. Enjoy the message. <laughs> well, how's everybody doing? Good, my name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so good to see you. I want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, Redmond, Issaquah, Duval, woodinville Bothell, and Castle Rock, uh, as well as all of you watching online. We are so glad that you are here. This weekend, we are going to be concluding a three-week series called The Better Life Project. Uh, We've been looking at a single verse in the book of Micah, and we're going to look at that uh, right now. If you want to pull your note sheet out of your program, You can follow along. It'll also be on the screen. Here's what it said. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Underline the last part of that phrase, walk humbly with God. That's what we're going to be looking at uh, this weekend. Over the last two weeks, we talked about what it means to act justly and to love mercy. And then this weekend, walking humbly with God. Humility. To kick us off, I want to play a little interactive game, okay? This is a game called Who Said That? I'm going to put up some real quotes, and then you have to guess who said them. You have to guess, was this a quote by Pastor Ben or by Kanye West, okay? (laughs) Now, seems easy. You would be surprised. Here's the first quote. Would you believe in what you believe in if you were the only one who believed it? What do you think? How many of you think that was Pastor Ben? Okay. How many of you think that was Kanye West? Okay, that one was Kanye West. Good job. All right, what about this next one? What people find most attractive is five, ten men who are slightly balding with whiny Jewish voices who laugh at their own jokes. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. Was that Kanye West or was that Pastor Benjamin Samuel Sigmund? That one was Pastor Ben. All right, what about this last one? My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. Now, this one could really go either way. What do you think? How many of you think that was Pastor Ben? Again, how many of you think that was Kanye West? Okay, that one was, uh, was a Kanye quote. Now, obviously, we're just having a little fun here. And I'm sure Pastor Ben and Kanye were just joking around uh, with these quotes. But humility is an interesting thing. Now, the opposite of humility is obviously pride. And pride is kind of funny. Pride is sort of the silent killer. Pride is something that's very easy to point out in someone else, but often very difficult for us to see in our own lives, isn't it? A couple years ago, I was uh, with my son, Henley. He was two years old at the time, and we were going to the park. And so we park, and we, we get out, and we're going to cross the street to go over to the playground. And there's a mom there, and she's getting stuff out of her car, and her kid is like jumping around in the bushes. And he's like making a mess and being loud and going crazy. And she's trying to get him to come over uh, with her, and he's totally ignoring her. And, and uh, I'm, I'm taking Henley by, and, and this kid, he's causing a big scene, and he's yelling. And, and the mom's like getting angry. And she says, Evan, get over here. And he just totally ignores her. And so you can tell her boiling point is like reaching a max. And I'm kind of interested in how this is all going to play out as well. And so I watch and she stomps over to him and she grabs him by the ear and pulls him out of the bushes. And with a vice grip, she walks him across the street and he's like yelling the whole time. Now, the entire time this is happening, my two-year-old son, Henley, is standing next to me like a perfect angel. He reaches up, grabs my hand, and we walk across the street. And I'm thinking, this lady has no idea how to parent her kid. Like, she is way over her head. She has no idea what she's doing. And so we, we go to the park, and we start playing, and, and we have this, this great time. And then it's time to go. And so I say, Henley, come on, come on down from the, from the play structure. And he's up top and he decides to take this moment to insert his independence and he refuses to come down. And so I'm like, Henley, you know, come on down. And so I try to like cajole him. I try to bribe him. I try to threaten him. I do everything I know how and he still refuses to come down. So I have to climb up to the top of this play structure, grab him and kicking and screaming, carry him down to the bottom. When we get down, I I set him down, and I sort of get down on one knee to to talk uh, with him about what had happened, and I look up, and, and who do I see standing there like a perfect little angel holding his mom's hand? It's that Evan kid. And his mom is just staring at me the whole time. And I'm thinking, don't you judge me. Now, guys, this kind of stuff happens to me All the time. I will have a prideful thought or a judging thought towards someone else, and like five minutes later, I go through the exact same situation. Pride is something that it's easy to see in someone else, but often very difficult to identify in ourselves, isn't it? I think part of this is because we tend to judge other people by their actions, but we tend to judge ourselves by our motives, don't we? What 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 I meant by that was, well, what was really going on there was Well, here's what I was trying to do. We judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our motives. Pride. I put together a little uh, test uh, for us all to help us out. It's called the pride test, and here's how it's gonna work. I'm gonna ask you five questions, okay? For each question that you say yes to, you get one point, all right? So keep a little tally on your note sheet, and then at the very end, we'll, we'll check out our scores, all right? Here's the first question. When you look at a group picture that you are in, do you spend most of the time looking at yourself? Be honest, okay? Be honest, one point. Number two, when someone else is talking, do you find yourself primarily thinking about what you will say next? One point. Number three, do you always have to win? Like, it doesn't even matter what you're doing, right? You're playing Candyland, right? You're like, you and someone else park and you're walking into the store at the same time. You know, you just have to win. There's something inside you. One point. Number four, you like that you're getting a lot of points on this test because you feel like you're winning, okay? One point, all right. Number four, do you get upset when other people don't honor your achievements? Like something you do and it goes unnoticed or someone else gets the credit and it just, it sort of makes you angry on the inside. And then number five, do you have a hard time acknowledging you were wrong? One point. Or are you never wrong? Two points, okay? Okay, how'd you do? We'll make the scoring easy, all right? If you scored one to five points, you deal with pride. If you scored zero points, you really deal with pride, all right? And, and what you're going to need to do, okay, is you're going to need to go home later. You need to go online. You're going to need to watch this message two or three or seven times for it to sink in, okay? Pride, is just something we all deal with on one level or another, And really what I want to talk about uh, today is is walking humbly with God. And really how humility affects us in a couple different areas. How humility affects uh, our view of ourselves. How humility affects our interactions with those around us. And then how humility interplays in our faith. Because I think for most of us, we understand what humility is in a general way. But how does it interact in our faith? What does it really mean to walk humbly with God? What's God's role in humility and how do faith and, and humility uh, interact? And so that's what we're we'll looking at. Before we get to the faith part of it, what does true humility look like? Here's the first fill-in on your note sheet: humility is strength under control. Humility is not a sign of weakness. In fact, I would argue that it's just the opposite: that you cannot be humble if you're weak. You've got to be strong. You've got to be, maybe a better word would be secure. Humility comes from a place of security. I am secure in who I am and in who God is. God is God, and so I'm secure in what he thinks about me, in how I feel about myself, and so now I can be humble because I'm secure. Humility is strength under control. I love that it says to to walk humbly with God. There's sort of this steady progression that suggested that that as I walk humbly with God, I move towards this place of health and wholeness one step at a time. I heard this prayer the other day that said, uh, Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I have not whined, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. However, I'm about to get out of bed in a few minutes and I'm going to need a whole lot more help after that. It's one step at a time, isn't it? And so, so what's the big deal? What happens when we miss here? There's an interesting account in the Old Testament, uh, the first half of your Bible, in the book of Daniel. Daniel tells the account of a man named Daniel who's an Israelite exiled in Babylon and sort of the influence that he's able to have there. And in Daniel chapter 4, there's this account of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who struggles with pride in the extreme. And here's what, this, what we find in, in Daniel chapter 4. Twelve months later... As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from your people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from his people and he ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now this is extreme. Nebuchadnezzar gets a hard lesson in humility. And it's an interesting count if you, if you read the whole story that he eventually sort of turns it around and, and begins this, this faith in God. But it's funny how often in life we either humble ourselves or we go through circumstances that humble us, don't we? Sometimes we go through humbling circumstances where, where sort of our pride is stripped away. And then on the other side, we come out either either bitter or better. And oftentimes, it has to do with, with the depth of our character and the strength of our relationship with God. You see, this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and it's a danger that we all face, and it's this: is that you end up where you want to be, but not who you want to be. This is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You see, he had it all. He had everything he could ask for. He had everything he could want. And yet there was something missing. You see, he had it all, but he was hollow on the inside. And his character was tested, and he was found wanting. And there was something missing. You see, sometimes there's a cost to where we are, isn't there? And and sometimes where we are comes at a cost, and we don't even realize the price that we paid until we got there. And what what happens is is we're where we want to be, but are you who you want to be? And ultimately, that's a question that only you can answer for yourself. D.L. Moody said, Our greatest fear should not be failure, but accomplishing something that doesn't really matter. Matthew Emmons was an American Olympic sharpshooter in the Athens Olympics in 2004. He was the best. He was so good, in fact, that everyone else was just competing for second place. In the final round, all he had to do to get first place, to get gold, was just hit the target. So shoot the paper. That's all he had to accomplish. And so he lines up for his last final shot, and he slows down his breathing. (sighs) And he slows down his heartbeat. In fact, the pros, they're so good, they shoot in between heartbeats. And so he takes his final shot and he hits the bullseye. The problem is he hit the bullseye on the wrong target. And so this is his face right after that shot. What just happened? So he hits the bullseye on the wrong target. He's awarded no points. He drops to eighth place, and he gets no medal at all. It's a very sad story. Can you imagine that? A bullseye, but on the wrong target. Many of you, you know how to win, but you just have to decide where to win. What bullseyes are you going to hit? You can't win everywhere. You can't win with everybody. You can't win every conversation. You have to decide, where am I going to hit the bullseyes? Am I going to win at the things that matter most? You see, I think walking humbly with God, it helps us to win with ourselves It helps us to win with others, and ultimately, it helps us to win in our relationship with God. So what does this look like? I wrote down four things, and we'll spend the rest of our time just walking through those. What walking humbly with God looks like. Sometimes it looks like letting God in where I've kept Him out. Sometimes it looks like letting God in where I've kept Him out. There's an interesting account in the book of Luke that Jesus has, Jesus is teaching on the beach and he has this encounter with a fisherman named Simon. And here's what it says in Luke chapter five. Jesus, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, Simon was a professional fisherman. Jesus was not. Simon, this is what he did his whole life. This is how he made money. This is, this is what he did. He knew how to fish. Jesus was not a fisherman. Now, Simon could have easily said, listen, Jesus, you're a great teacher, but, but I'm the fisherman here, okay? And, and I appreciate your, your, you, know, you being in my boat. I appreciate you teaching. But listen, we, we just cleaned our nets. We, we, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. I know how to fish. I know where to fish. I know how to fish. And, and, and this is not it. So thanks for the advice, but get out of my boat, right? But no, what does he say? He says, this doesn't make any sense. I don't think this is a good idea. I don't really understand why we would do this. But because you said so, I'm gonna do it. Part of walking humbly with God is letting God in where I've kept him out. Saying, you know what, this is my boat, I'm in charge here, but you know what, I'm gonna invite you in. Where have you sort of kept God out of? He said, you know what, God, Sunday, Saturday, you know what, you're fully invited into those. But Monday, work life, hanging out with the guys, hanging out with the girls, family time, my thought life, personal time. Uh, I don't know. What's your boat? What's your boat? Where, where would God be saying, you know what, let me, let me in there. Can, can I be involved in that? Maybe you just want to write it down. Uh, next to the point. You can even draw a little boat around it if you want. What's your boat? You don't even have to commit to doing anything about it. Just identify it. And I think the Holy Spirit will it'll just be speaking to you and just say, okay, this is an area where, where maybe, maybe you've kept God out of. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe for you, this is about giving God full access of your life. What small corner of your life have you kept God out of? Or maybe you just haven't involved God in, in recently. And maybe what you're here this weekend for is, is to hear God not, not put any shame or guilt on you, that would never be his goal or mine, but to simply encourage you to, to move towards giving him full access. And part of the way we do this is, is by number two, approaching God with confidence. The way we approach our relationship with God actually matters a lot. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It's interesting as I I talk to, to many, many people about their faith And and how different people and they don't even realize it, but but how people approach their faith in different ways. Now part of it is is our you know how we grew up, part of it's it's our church experience, part of it's just our personality and kind of how we're wired. But there's different ways people approach God. I wrote down four of the most common ones that I've come across. The first one is this: it's life from God. This approach, life from God. You, basically, you believe in God. You believe that he exists, but your interactions with him are only when you need something. Your relationship with God, it's a transactionary relationship. God is sort of like this cosmic vending machine that you go to when you need something. And, and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say it like that, but when you do an audit of your interactions with God, that kind of tends to be the case. Your prayers simply consist of asking for things. When something's not going well, you, you, you go, and, and ultimately this will lead to, to a very shallow faith. And then there's life above God. Here, these people, they've, they've dismissed all of the mystery and wonder of God. They've got God figured out. There, there's, there's proven formulas. If your approach is like this, you'll, you'll lose, use terms like God always, or God never, or, or God can't, or God won't. God's sort of like in this box for you. And ultimately, this leads to a frustrated faith when God doesn't respond like he was supposed to. And then there's life under God. And the best way to boil this one down is, is you, you, you sort of spend most of your time trying, trying to earn God's approval because you feel like it's sort of conditional that God's kind of keeping a tally, and he's keeping score, and every time you do something wrong, he's like angry and puts a little check mark over there. And then every time you do something good, you get like a little attaboy over here, and you're kind of trying to make sure that things are, things are balanced. And ultimately, this leads to a very fearful faith. And then there's, there's life with God. And this is a totally different approach from the others, This is all about just being with God. Sometimes it's hard to believe that that the God of the universe would actually want to personally spend time with each of us. What's interesting in the book of Genesis chapter three, there's this uh, account of Adam and Eve, the very first humans on the planet. And it says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the day. And it said that God was looking for Adam and Eve. That's incredible. God wanted to go on a walk with Adam and Eve. You do that with people you love, don't you? You go on a walk with your husband or wife. You go on a walk with your kids or your friend, right? God wanted to walk with Adam and Eve. There's this relationship involved here. I would encourage all of us to continually move towards life with God. Micah said, walk humbly with God. The first part is how we walk. The second part is who we walk with; that we would walk with God. One of my favorite spiritual disciplines is praying short prayers of involvement. I learned this in my early twenties from Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a person who lived many, many years ago. You read about him in the Old Testament, first half of the book of the Bible. There's a A book called Nehemiah, it happened about 100 years after Daniel, which we read about earlier. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, and he had a very important role, and then he he hears some news from his homeland that things aren't going well, and he wants to ask the king for something big. And, And here's what we read, it's not in your note sheet, but it'll be on the screen. In Nehemiah chapter two, he says this. He says, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now imagine this scene with me for a moment, okay? And it happens so quick, you almost missed what's going on here. Nehemiah's having a conversation with the king, right? And then the king asks him, hey, what do you want? And then what does it say? It says, Nehemiah prayed, and then he answered the king. Now, it doesn't say what he prayed, but my guess is that a long prayer would have been a little awkward there, right? This is not like a believing king, okay? This, is, this king is, is, is there, and Nehemiah is there, and, and just imagine, if you, say, you know, Nehemiah, what do you want? It's like, guards... That would have been awkward. I don't think he did that. Don't do that. Here's what I think happened. I think he prayed a really quick prayer in his mind. God help. Okay, King, listen. It was just a short prayer, a quick prayer, just involving God in the conversation that was about to happen. Try this for yourself. During the day, pray short prayers throughout your day involving God. God help me. God, I'm about to have a tough meeting. Just be with me. God, that conversation made me really angry. Just wanted to let you know. God, give me grace with my children right now. God, thank you for that beautiful cup of coffee that I just drank. Pray short prayers. Prayer doesn't have to be long and boring. You can just throughout your day include God in what's going on. What happens when you talk to someone every single day multiple times a day? You develop a relationship, you get to know each other, you build a relationship, and that's what happens. God wants to do life with you. So approach God and spend time with God with confidence. And then number three, sometimes walking humbly with God looks like staying clear of the people-pleasing trap. Now this is a hard one. This is where humility and other people intersect. Humility means being yourself, it means being confident in who God created you to be and having healthy interactions with other people, not trying to impress people or win the approval of others. Sometimes humility is about saying you're sorry, admitting that you did something wrong. Sometimes it's about confessing and saying, you know what, I did that, and just, it's just owning it. Last fall, uh, I went on a walk with my family. We like to do that. And uh, we, we, we go and we we're probably gone about an hour. We walked around the neighborhood and then stopped by a park. And then we walked back to the house. And we had been gone about an hour. And when we get back to the house, right in my front yard, in the grass, right next to the sidewalk is this giant sign. And, and, and post on it, it says, no parking this side of the street. And I get there and I do like a double take. I'm like, has has that been here the whole time? Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time. You notice something and it's been there the whole time, but you just noticed it. And you're like, "Ah, maybe that's just me. And so I I talk to my wife. I'm like, Haley, has that always been there? She's like, no, that's never been there. We left for the walk. There was no sign in our yard. We get back from the walk. There is a giant no parking sign in my front yard. And so I'm kind of angry and I don't know where it came from. So I just pull it out of the ground and I go and I, I, I just put it on the side of the house. And Haley's like freaking out. She thinks like the police are gonna come and arrest me and take me off to jail. And so she's embarrassed, she goes in the house. She's a rule follower, if you haven't guessed. And so I I go inside, I I deliver, you know, it's gonna be fine, no big deal. The next morning, I go uh, out to my car to head to work and there's a city vehicle parked in front of my house and there's this guy standing there looking down at the hole. And so I walk up to him and I said, hi, how are you doing today? And he says, uh, good. He says, there was a sign here yesterday, and it's gone. Do you know anything about that? Now, how many of you think that I told the truth and confessed what I had done? How many of you think I lied and said I have no idea where, about any sign? Okay, appreciate the vote of confidence in my character there. All right. No, I, I actually I did the right thing in the moment. I said, you know what? I said I didn't know anything about the sign, and so I, I pulled it out. And so we, we we talked it through. And in that moment, I did the right thing. But can I be honest with you? Most of the time I actually choose the wrong thing in those moments. I mean, usually I avoid, I ignore, I I choose the people-pleasing thing. Why? Because I want people to like me. You know what I do all the time? This is horrible. People, I'll be having a conversation with somebody and they'll mention like a name of a person or a place, like just kind of nonchalantly, like I should know who it is. And then they'll say like, oh yeah, you know who that is, right? And I have no idea. And probably about 50, probably 75% of the time, I'll totally, I'll just say, yeah, yeah, I know who that is. Just because I want them to like think I'm cool and that I know what they're talking about, right? And it's horrible, I know. Jesus is still working on my heart. But it's this people-pleasing thing that's inside all of us. And it probably plays out a little bit different in your life. But but you know how you deal with this. It's something that we all deal with, where you just say, you know what? i got to avoid the people-pleasing trap. So how do we do that? It says in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Part of walking humbly with God is how we interact with other people. Now there's a lot packed into this, these verses. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's saying, check your motives. Why are you saying that? Why are you doing that? Let God kind of chip away at your pride. It says, value others above yourself. Take a genuine interest in other people. Put someone else's needs above yours. And sometimes we try to do this, but it sort of comes across a little bit fake because we give generic compliments instead of taking genuine interest. I read an interesting study this last week, Uh, psychologist Richard Wiseman. He created this uh, study using waiters to identify what was more effective in creating a connection with strangers, mirroring or positive reinforcement. So one group of waiters using positive reinforcement would lavish praise and encouragement upon patrons using words like, great, no problem, sure, that's awesome, in response to every order that they took. Now the other group of waiters simply mirrored their customers by repeating their orders back to them. The results were stunning. The waiters who mirrored got 70% more tips than the ones who just try to be positive and give encouragement. Take a genuine interest in others. And then it says this, and this is the key to all of it. It says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now this one's interesting. Where did Jesus walk? Who did Jesus interact with? Jesus often walked towards the dark and hurting places that I usually wanna walk around. What's interesting when you read through the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament that tell the account of Jesus's life, what's interesting is that people that weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. Why was that? What was it about Jesus that drew people to him? I think one of the reasons is that he never tried to impress people. He simply tried to have a positive impact on everyone that he came in contact with. And then there's number four. Walking humbly with God looks like accepting grace is real. A few years ago, we were on vacation in Coeur d'Alene, and we were at a Silverwood, which is this uh, amusement park, and it's got this water park and these these rides, and and then it, it has this uh, pizza place that does this magic show. So, an incredible magic show if you're ever there, it's it's awesome. And so, we were there with our family, and, and we're we're eating pizza and watching this magic show. And my my son Henley loved the magic show. He was like glued the whole time. He thought it was incredible. It was the first like magic show he had ever seen. And so this magician, he was awesome. He was like making things appear and disappear and doing card tricks. And Henley's favorite was he would take like handkerchiefs and, and like twirl them. And then they would turn into birds like doves. Right. And so all these birds were appearing and flying everywhere. And, and, and it was, it's really fun time. Fast forward a couple weeks. We're now back at home and I hear my son Henley in the other room and I hear him yelling like ta-da <sighs> and then huffing and, and so I, I walk in there to kind of just watch him, and He doesn't see me for a little bit, and he's got this little blanket, and he's throwing it up in the air and yelling, ta-da, and then when it hits the ground, he huffs, ah, and then throws it up, ta-da, ah. and so I'm like, Henley, wh- what are you doing? And he said, Daddy, why aren't the birds coming? He thought it was real. He totally thought if he just did what that guy did, that guy threw up a little, a little blanket and said, to da And so if I throw up a little blanket, the birds will come. He thought, it was, he thought it was real. He thought the magic was real. And so I sat him down and I explained to him that it's all fake, just like Santa Claus. And he cried. <laughs> I'm just joking. I didn't do that. Accepting grace is real. You see, we talk about Grace. And for most of us, we want it to be real, and we hope that it's real, and we think that it's real, but sometimes there's this little tiny thing in the back of our minds that just wonders, is it real? Is it real? And this plays out in our faith in, in some, some, some difficult ways. What happens is, is we, we start to carry things that we were never meant to carry. Some of you in your relationship with God, you're trying to make up for some stuff that happened in your past long, long time ago, and you're still carrying it around with you. And you may even believe that God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And so you're carrying it around with you, and you're trying to make up for it. And you, you, you feel like anytime you do something wrong, you just, you remind yourself of those things. And, and your faith, it's a, it's a heavy faith. Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If, if, if your faith is a heavy faith, something's wrong. And ultimately what may be wrong is you're not fully accepting grace as real. That you're still trying to do things for yourself that Jesus did for you long, long time ago. That you simply have to accept. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Part of faith is being humble enough to say, you know what, Jesus is gonna do some things for me that I can't do on my own. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be okay with that. Many of you, you, you love to rationally and intelligently approach every area in your life. And that's great. That's awesome. And, and, and you do that with faith as well. And keep doing that because as you do, you will find this all to be true. But there's something about faith as well that says, you know what? I may not understand it all, but I'm gonna let Jesus do what I can't do for myself. And I'm gonna take not a leap of faith, but I'm gonna take steps of faith towards Jesus. And I'm gonna accept that, that grace is real. And I'm gonna fully accept and I'm gonna walk in the humble confidence that comes through the relationship with God. So, where do you need to up your humble game this weekend? Do you need to let God into an area of life that you've been holding on to? Do you need to include God more and actually do life with God? Do you need to work on your interaction with others and kind of let God chip away at some pride issues? Or do you need to fully accept that grace is real and begin to take faith steps towards Jesus? And for all of us, let's commit for to continue or maybe for the first time To begin to walk humbly with God. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.